take you upstairs now then. Moving slowly around his exquisite home, David McCourt wears a coin on a chain around his neck. Ruth's coin. She gave it to him after she died. On our way up here, this is an office. This was Ruth's desk here and Juliana's desk. We always, Juliana would sit next to her in her desk and do, do things while Ruth worked here. Ruth was Ruth Clifford McCourt, David's wife. Juliana was his four-year-old daughter. Both died in one of the planes which hit the Twin Towers on September the 11th, 2001. Ruth's story was told around the world in the days after September the 11th because of its freakish, shocking coincidences. Not only were Ruth and her daughter in one of the two planes which hit the Twin Towers, but in the other plane was one of her best friends, Paige Hackle. Not only that, but Ruth's brother Ron was at the base of the Twin Towers when the planes hit. He escaped. So now here's David alone in this beautiful 19th century home on the Connecticut shore near a lighthouse with its foghorn blaring. The house gives David peace and pain. Peace downstairs and pain upstairs. Downstairs, the garden and decor remind him of his wife and how much good she brought into his life. Upstairs, his daughter's room and toys remind him how much has been taken from that life. And uh, we have these uh, Italian uh, tiles on the floor. Off the kitchen is a breakfast room. There are photo albums on the table, unopened by David since September the 11th. I uh, mentioned to you before, I can't look at pictures. I, I can't, it hurts too much. Here's a picture from the album, a picture of a successful Irish-American woman. Strawberry blonde, shoulder-length hair, blue eyes. Petite, well-groomed, vivacious. She appeared confident and enthusiastic. She was rich and successful. In her arms, she held a smiling four-year-old daughter. Ruth is smiling too. She's had a happy time in a life which had been troubled, extraordinarily troubled. That's the picture. This is the story behind the picture. a little redhead and she was very chubby she was just so beautiful this is paula ruth's mother she married ruth's father val and had five children with him ruth was the third born in 1956 when ruth was being born i remember i had to have a blood transfusion after ruth and we'd had a lot of family problems just before then her father's business had taken fire and somehow this little girl coming into the world after two boys was very, very special. It was very special. Ruth was the only girl in the middle of four boys, John, Gordon, Mark, and this is Ron. We grew up on the Black Rock Road in Ballon Temple, great neighbourhood with a group we called the gang that consisted of boys and girls of our own age, you know, close to about maybe 30 of us, and it was, it was a fun place to grow up. 
She was a princess. <laughs> she was very feminine. The boys used to say, Mommy, why is Ruth up in front of her dressing table sipping cups of tea? With and she doesn't even have a cup in her hand. She was very feminine. She never lost that. Every year, every Christmas, we were made give up our toys that we had from the year before. And Ruth, one year, had to give up her communion dress to a little girl that didn't have anything. And she described this girl as having just... was This girl was dirty and just had jam all over her face and was just very, very poor. And I, I know it had a profound effect on her. Every summer, Ruth stayed with her aunt and uncle in their large house in Fox Rock in Dublin. She determined when she was older, she'd have a house just like that. Although the visits were sometimes unnerving. This is when she was very young, when she was about nine or ten. And she was very spooked by the garden, the lower part of the garden. And she used to tell me that she used to suddenly feel she had to run away from it and get back to the house. And I mentioned it to my brother and I said, there's something spooking Ruth down there. And he said, yes, mum. He said, there was a child drowned in the pond down there and that's why the pond is covered. So very early on, she did have these feelings, these premonitions. One day, one of Ruth's brothers noticed his mother in Cork City in the company of a man, a lecturer from UCC. He soon realised what others knew already. Paula was having an affair. For Ruth, life went on. As a young teenager, one of her interests became cooking and she entered the school cookery competitions. A neighbour recalled that one evening, Ruth arrived at her door to show off her winning dish. The neighbour invited her in and almost immediately, the young Ruth burst into tears and said, Mammy's leaving home. What Ruth didn't know was that Mammy wasn't the only one leaving home. Ruth was going too. I think I was about 15. Ruth was, you know, about 13, 14. One day we woke up and, you know, my mother had left. And uh, Ruth said she woke up in America. Paula had decided to leave Cork with the UCC lecturer, Leslie Scott, who was a widower with two young children. He was going to a job in Los Angeles. Paula brought Ruth with her and Ruth helped to mind the children. My father was 10 years older than my mother. Dad was 27 when he married my mother, who was 17. And I think she was only 17 a month when she got married. And uh, I think my mother and father just grew apart through just, I think, my mother realising one day that they were incompatible. But the other shock to the teenage Ruth was that not only was she leaving Cork and her father, Val, but she was also leaving her brothers behind as well. Of her five children, Paula took Ruth alone to America and left her sons behind in Ireland. I think she was okay about going to America. She was not forced to go. Maybe she didn't have a choice. And was she angry that she had gone to the States and the lads hadn't? No. Not at all? No. She was upset, but she knew that I probably, I think she could keep the balance with my mother and my father. Ruth told a friend that she had been given Valium by her mother before she was put on the plane to America. Paula says Ruth had a free choice. She could have changed her mind any time and gone back to Ireland. She wasn't cross with you no. for the decision that you made about the family. She... Did she understand it or did she just accept the decision you made? I think she understood it and she accepted it. Yes, I think and she understood it. Did she ever question it. you about it? Not really. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. I think Ruth was a realist and, and I think she was a romantic. The roller coaster for Ruth continued. Within a short time of arriving in Los Angeles, Ruth's mother had another child, 
by Leslie Scott, a boy named Spencer. Paula left Scott and Los Angeles, taking Ruth and the new baby to Rochester, New York. Back in Cork, life was a nightmare for the Cliffords. Val had lost his wife and daughter. The brothers had lost their mother and sister. It was the early 70s. By leaving her family, Paula had caused a scandal and some of the neighbours discouraged their children from playing with the Clifford boys. Then one day, a year or so after Ruth left Cork, her brother Gordon went out on a motorbike he had just bought and was involved in an accident on the Douglas Road. Although he survived, he was being kept alive on a machine. At this stage, Val, his father, was so emotionally punch-drunk that his young sons had to help him make the decision to allow Gordon to die. Then came the funeral. Fraught occasions for any family, but for the Cliffords, doubly so. Not only were they burying a son and a brother, but the family were to be reunited at the graveside for the first time since the breakup. But before that, Paula took a decision which dismayed her sons and which still hurts. I was advised not to go, um, special legal situation and things like that. And it was, I mean, I would never want anyone ever to go through what I went through at that period. It's just indescribable. Not only did the mother not go to her own son's funeral, but she sent someone in her place, her teenage daughter, Ruth. At the graveside at Gordon's funeral, someone pushed into Ruth from behind and abused her for abandoning her children and her husband. From behind, she had been mistaken for her mother. Not only was Ruth not her mother, she wasn't really treated like her daughter either. Sometimes she was more her mother's mother. I used to send her a present on Mother's Day <laughs> to call her the mother. That's true. This is before she became a mother? Yeah, yeah. I used to send her a present on Mother's Day because she mothered me. I think she was depended on by my mother quite a lot. So, so even though she was a teenager and your mother was an adult, she fulfilled her role for your mother? I, I think so. There were a number of times when I lost my focus and Ruth would say, Mom, focus, and I would. And did you not feel a burden to her like that? A burden to her? Mm. Oh, not at all. Maybe I was a great burden to her, but I guess she was such a good mentor, she never let me know that I was a burden. <laughs> Despite the separation from home, Ruth did enjoy the trappings of life in America. We would laugh and marvel at some of the things that America had that we never had, you know. Electric can openers. Oh, everything. Yeah. Electric pencil Ele pairs. Electric everything. Driving everything. Just going to the car wash and have five guys attack your car with mops and sponges. I mean, that used to make us chuckle. Ruth's mother, Paula, had been encouraged by her mother to marry at 17. History repeated itself. Paula encouraged Ruth to marry at 19. The marriage was a disaster. It lasted a week and was annulled. Having left school, Ruth threw herself into her chosen profession, 
the beauty business. She worked as a nail technician and enrolled in a modelling school. She knew she was too small to model, but wanted to learn the trade. And soon she was on the staff of the school and travelling throughout the southern states, opening new branches. She never lost touch with Ireland or Europe. Every so often she'd have to get her fill of Ireland. Every so often she would call me up and say it's time. And then she would get on a plane and go back just to breathe and take a break from life. After a few years, Ruth moved from America to London, where she worked for several years in the beauty business. She then went back to the States and was a confirmed Europhile. She favoured European lifestyle and art. She combined this interest and her chosen profession in a new venture, a beauty parlour, which she described as a European day spa and called it Clifford Classique. Her friend Patricia Church first met her there. It provided everything. You could be massaged, you could be made over, you could have your hair done, your nails done. People would go in to keep the energy moving because Ruth had a lot of spiritual background and she wanted to make sure in her industry that it wasn't just a foo-foo parlor. It was um, someplace where you were more spiritually um, bound and enlightened so that you kept the energy going. Ruth was shrewd. She hooked up with several cosmetic surgeons who sent her patients who needed to learn how to hide the effects of surgery. Also, because it was called a European spa, she was able to persuade immigration authorities to allow Irish women to come and work and train with her. But being her own boss exacted its own price. Having her own business meant Ruth could help support her mother and half-brother, but it also meant she was constantly working. Weekends were devoted to work and she was so exhausted in the evening she would just collapse and it takes a toll on your social life. She dated a man for quite a while, as was a gentleman she met in her 30s, and dated him many, many years, kind of off and on, but, you know, uh, she didn't commit to him. And when you don't commit, obviously it's not right. But when they parted, it broke her heart. There had been no shortage of men. Even the older clients at her beauty parlour would invite her to lunch to introduce her to their sons, but in Ruth's words, they all came with baggage. And then it all changed for Ruth Clifford. Just before she turned 40, along came businessman David McCourt. We met in Boston. Uh, we had a mutual friend, and she happened to mention to me that there's a friend of hers that she would like me to meet in Boston. I said, I don't go out with anybody from Boston. I said, it's GU, meaning geographically undesirable. And I'll never forget it. She sent me a letter, and she said, let me describe Ruth to you. And she described Ruth to me as this beautiful woman coming over from Ireland, gorgeous red hair and blue eyes. She owned her own business, self-supportive, independent, and just painted this picture I couldn't resist. I said, there's no, no woman that exists like this. And when she walked into the room when I first met her, it was like seeing Maureen O'Hara walk in with gorgeous hair and eyes and a wonderful spirit beautiful clothes and everything flowed and I was I was just overtaken by the whole the whole event and I said that I just knew at that moment I have to go for this 
when she first met David, and one of her words, she would just take a deep breath to the bottom of her shoes and say, oh, he takes my breath away. And I think Ruth cried for a month afterwards, you know, she was so happy. And she cried to you, did she? Every day, it was just, it became annoying after a while. <laughs> On our third date, I took her to New York to Petrosians after seeing an opera on Christmas Eve and proposed to her over champagne and caviar and uh, put a emerald diamond ring in a champagne glass and put two champagne glasses in front of her and asked her to make a choice. And whatever choice she made from her heart, it would be okay. There's no right or wrong here, but I told her how I felt. And after about a half an hour, she chose the glass uh, with the engagement ring on it and said that she would take it under approbation, i.e. approval. And I think one of the approvals was that she adored her brothers. Two of them were in New Jersey at that time where we were seeing the next day, and I think that she was so nervous, and she wanted to test the waters with Mark and Ron. And when we went down there, she said, I have an announcement to make that I, I am. And she stuttered when she said it, and I'm engaged, and everybody applauded it. And uh, she felt excited about it that her brothers approved, and her brothers were very important in her life. Ruth and David decided to get married at the Vatican. Some of the family from Ireland were going to travel for the wedding, including Ruth's father, Val. She had a terrific connection with Dad. She was Dad's strawberry blonde. Dad used to call her princess and strawberry blonde all the time. And she, she adored him. She absolutely adored Dad. I think she was a great daughter to Dad, too, you know? She was just... She loved telling Dad's stories. And Ruth got married at the Vatican. And uh, Dad had written a speech and died within an hour after writing the speech few days before her wedding. I delivered the speech at Ruth's wedding. And, um, was it a good speech? I think it was, yeah. It was a funny speech. He was there in spirit, you know, and she knew it. She put together and designed her own wedding dress. And her wedding dress truly was something out of a Greek or Roman goddess. It just draped over her shoulders. And I can remember walking through um, St. Peter's Square and uh, all these tourists would come and take photographs. <laughs> it was an absolute scream. After the wedding, David and Ruth had an audience with the Pope along with others who had got married that day. At the audience... Ruth had a papal coin blessed. Back in America, Ruth settled into married life and back into work in her beauty business. Not all of it in the salon. This is Ruth's friend, Joy. She dealt with people with terminal illness, not just cancer patients, but people you knew weren't going to make it. And she would go into the hospital rooms and it was, it was just painful. You, you knew these people were terminal, but the women may want their nails done and Ruth never let it seem like they were terminal. You know, it was like, of course you want your nails done. Your husband's coming, your children are coming. Sure, we can set your wig. You know, or if you don't want to wear that, you know, let me show you 20 different ways to tie this scarf. Ruth never ran from blood. Ruth ran towards blood. Ruth ran towards illness. And she had to run to illness at home. David, her husband, got skin cancer. Ruth researched it. 
She found a clinic in California trying new treatments and David attended there. When he was at home, Ruth treated him herself, including putting him on a drip. She called me up and she said, I didn't wait all these years to find the perfect husband for him to think he's going to die on me. So she's like, no, and there was an inter- she was giving David an intravenous and something went wrong. She's like, oh dear God, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> she's like, you know, I just have to calm down and we'll get through this. And I think sometimes with the intravenous feedings, David must have gotten a little nervous, but Ruth was going to do it. I mean, how many women would say, no, he doesn't need to go in the hospital. I will do this and we'll do it at home. And she did the tough stuff with David and she was, God, when... David came out cancer-free. She was just so happy. And she's like, oh, we're going to get on with our living. She goes, not that we stopped living. That living included throwing tea parties for women in her home. And she took care to mix the ages. She loved women getting together and talking about life. And you definitely learned from older women. Any older woman has always been up against worse than the woman younger than them. There was this one woman in... She married this man, and this man totally subjugated her. You know, it was just awful. And Ruthie taught her how to drive. She said, oh, we're not putting up with this. And this woman became pregnant, and the husband didn't want it. And she was like, you know, too bad. I'm keeping it. And Ruth stuck with her by it. And this woman climbed three flights, nine months pregnant with groceries. And Ruth wouldn't let that. She would help her all the time and tell her they were neighbors. And Ruth just said, no, you can do more. And usually you mourn when someone is getting a divorce. Ruth celebrated the day this woman left this man, finally. You know, and she was like, you were going to do so much better in life on your own, and this woman did. This woman is, is doing very well for herself and her daughter. Again, things changed in Ruth's life over a short period of time. Or rather, this time, she changed them over a short period of time. In the space of a couple of years, she got married, she gave up work, and she transferred her beauty business to her younger half-brother, Spencer. She left Boston and moved to Connecticut. Also during this time, Ruth made an important decision, according to her friend, Patricia. She wanted a child. She... This is the other thing about Ruth. Makes a decision, and you know when she first talked about that, I just thought it was kind of talk if it happened or didn't happen. Absolutely not. She took her temperature every day to know exactly what the right time was, and she worked at that. Again, it was somebody who set their sights for something. She wanted to make a family and make a future. Eventually, there was news. Paula, Ruth's mother, was in the house at the time. And actually, her husband knocked at my door. He'd been doing a pregnancy test, obviously, every morning. And uh, he came in and he couldn't talk to me. He just kept saying, duh, duh, duh. And I said, is, is Ruth sick? Is something wrong? And he said, duh, duh. And I ran into her room and I said, Ruth, Ruth. And she said, Mommy, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. I remember jumping on the bed and jumping off the bed. and It was just the best. It was just so wonderful. Ruth had a baby girl, Juliana Valentine. Valentine after Ruth's father, Val. Despite her experiences with her own family, or maybe because of them, Ruth never expressed any doubts about being a mother. And if she did, there were always self-help books available. When Ruthie had Juliana, Paige was in the hospital, and Paige called me, and the next day I went in to visit. Okay, so you have 
page, Ruth and I in the hospital, and Ruthie's trying to get the breastfeeding to work, and it doesn't work. So Paige, Ruth, and I all have our books out. We're trying to figure out why this doesn't work, why, first of all, something in the 10 pounds can put three women into a panic, and there's not a child amongst us, so we don't have a clue. So then um, Ruth goes, oh, what am I going to do? My mother's not here. My nieces aren't going to arrive. Who's going to help me? So besides trying to read the books on breastfeeding, in walks the doctor, and these three women have got the books on. I think this doctor just wanted to close the door and leave. Within a year of transferring her beauty salon to her brother Spencer, the business failed. Ruth blamed him for that and was angry with him for months, but the anger didn't last. Besides, life was full. She had a new family and a home to look after. As we walk along here, you can see the, the flowers, a sense of order and balance and structure. Uh, you can see a vegetable garden here, and she took great pride in the herb garden here. She would tell me to go out and get a certain herb, and I never learned all the herbs like she did. So what she did, she labeled everything. Moving on here, this is another portion of the, uh, the garden. This she referred to as her Irish garden. Uh, she created this little section over here, this arbor, where you could sit, and she would come out here and meditate. It's an ideal place for meditating and walking. Ruth taught Juliana meditation. The child also went to classes for horse riding, ballet, and French. Ruth made two rooms out of this. This is Juliana's room. The little princess, she would call her, and she had two beds. You can go in there if you like. Uh, you can see it's probably the done so nice, the nicest room that I think any <clears throat> little girl could have. <clears throat> Again, the Italian beds. And Ruth created a little bathroom for her that was miniaturized to accommodate a four-year-old. It would be the sink and the bathtub and the toilet. Uh, again, the Italian, Italian tiles. Juliana had a dog called Phoebe. And Phoebe was sitting in a window looking at a ferry boat going by, barking at the ferry boat. And in my impatience, I said, Phoebe, shut up. Stop it. Juliana came in and put her hands on her hips and said, Daddy, don't say shut up. You hurt her feelings and you hurt my feelings. And I said, well, Juliana, how am I going to get her to shut up? She said, Daddy, don't say that. She said, I'll show you. And she went over to Phoebe, who was barking, and she put her arms around Phoebe and said, Phoebe, it's going to be okay. You're okay. Everything is okay. And we love you, Phoebe. And it's going to be okay. And she stroked the dog and hugged it, and Phoebe stopped. And she came over and said, Daddy, that's how you do it, and you don't hurt her feelings. Although some of her formative years were disrupted and unpredictable, Ruth's own approach to life was meticulous and thorough. She was always making plans. In fact, when the 11th of September happened, she had already a trip booked for the 27th of September for her anniversary to go to New York. She had a trip planned for Ireland for, I think it was around the 14th, of October and she was talking about Christmas she spoke about January and all her plans were in order and that was the way she seemed to have run her life her need to plan extended to thoughts of her own death three weeks before the tragedy she said that uh, Ruth made a comment to her very close friends that there's a big tragedy coming she feels it and she said it could be that David has cancer or something but it's a huge tragedy and she came to me and said David, 
if anything happens to me, you have to promise me that you'll put my ashes in Ireland. That's where my heart is, and that's where my heart will always be, and that's where it belongs. Uh, coming over here, we have, amongst the rocks, is a nice little beach down there. It's high tide now, and it's about uh, 50 feet wide normally. All sand, beautiful, and uh, provided a private area for Julianne, and that was her private beach. And uh, somewhat painful for me to look down there today, because uh, that reminds me of Julianne and her laughter and giggling and running on the beach, and she and her mother playing down there, which she loved to do. And we, is that the Atlantic out there? Yes, it is. Like her house on the Connecticut shore, Ruth looked to Ireland. She visited frequently, laden with presents for family and friends, and in the States she kept close to her only brother in the country, Ron. I spoke to Ruth every day unless she was out of the country. We were very good friends. Even the morning of 9-11, Ruth ensured that I wore a bright tie. I spoke to her a few days beforehand, told her that I was going to a very important meeting that morning. She said to me, wear a nice bright tie with that new blue suit you just bought. And uh, she asked me if I had a handkerchief of the same color to put in my pocket. And I asked her how old she thought I was, you know. like, And uh, we laughed about that. The meeting Ron was going to was at the World Trade Center. It was going to change his life professionally. On the same day, Ruth was going to Los Angeles to help change her life spiritually. She was going to a meeting at the Deepak Chopra Center with her friend Paige Hackel. Deepak Chopra writes on the subject of spiritual healing. As well as books on parenting, Ruth's bookshelves are filled with books on spirituality. Ruth was seeking spirituality and her friend Paige uh, was another seeker. And I think they found this in their friendship. Um, great stuff to discuss. Was she settled within herself or was she searching and restless? V very settled. Since Juliana was born, she had become a different person and she was comfortable and, you know, the house was the way she wanted it. She was taking a deep breath and uh, working on her inner spiritual self. So the decision was made for Ruth and Paige to go to California together. They couldn't travel on the same flights because they used different discount packages for frequent flyers, but they would leave Boston for Los Angeles on the same morning at almost the same time. One on an American Airlines plane, the other on a United Airlines one. The two women were due to go on their own. Julianne at first was not supposed to go to California with her. And two days before, she turned to me and said, David, Julianne belongs with me. And I have to take Julianne with me. And I said, OK. And then she designed a trip so it would include Julianne. And those are things I think back on and wonder about. So Juliana went too. Hundreds of miles away, Ruth's brother Ron went to his meeting at the World Trade Center. It was September the 11th, 2001. Paige's plane was hijacked, so was Ruth and Juliana's. They were both flown into the Twin Towers. Down below, Ron was helping save a victim of the attack, and by getting her out of the building, he saved himself and survived the collapse of the towers.
Ruth was gone. The woman who involved herself so much in others' lives now left them, left them feeling cheated. I miss the smell of her. To tell you the truth, that morning she was having a shower and I went in and she was showering. I went back again, she was still showering. I went in for a third time into her bathroom and she was still showering. And I said, Ruth, I said, what are you taking so much time over with that little body? She was very petite, Ruth. She was about five foot three. And um, she wiped the steam off the shower and she said, you know, she said, I have a very special body. And I said, with that, she hopped out of the shower and she was so liberated. Ruth was, a, she was liberated from the time she was born. It was so beautiful. I mean, I'm not talking about just extraordinary beautiful inside. It was so beautiful outside that I could never replace them. Um, and I just, I know I have to get to a level, a spiritual level of my involvement where I can look back and say, thank you, God. Just, I appreciate so much that I had them in my lives for such a short period of time. I'm struggling to get to that point. Talk to the people Ruth and Juliana left behind and they embraced the notion that after you die, your presence endures. When Ruth's plane hit the building, Ron was on the floor of one of the towers saying the Our Father with a woman named Jenny Ann Maffeo who had been burnt when the first plane hit. Ron was forced to leave the building immediately, not because of the attack, but in order to get Jenny Ann to safety. This, he says, was Ruth's doing. It's like this angel was put in front of me to help. And I think this Jenny Ann was the angel, I think, that Ruth sent to me to get me out of the building in, in a strange way. So if you it's, hadn't stopped to help Jenny Ann, you would have lingered in the building? Oh, I think I would. I think as an architect, I'd be very curious about what was going on, the forces. You know, I'd be very interested in just walking around. I mean, Jenny Ann was right behind me when she got hit by a ball of flame. Um, and I just happened to, to walk in through revolving doors before her. But, I mean, it's just so amazing that, that Ruth's plane hit the building while I was on the floor with her saying the Lord's Prayer. I mean, go figure. Juliana and I had this thing going, and we called it the Thread Fairy. Juliana would say, um, oh, Granny, look, the Thread Fairy was here last night, and she'd pick up a thread that she found maybe up in her bedroom, and I'd say, oh, Juliana... That was blue. What do you think? Was it a blue fairy? And she'd say, no, she had a blue dress and she would be so excited. This went on like for years. And Juliana would pick up another thread or she'd find one in my car and she'd say, guess what? Granny Paula, she said, the thread fairy was here last night. But when this happened on the 11th, I had this very good friend of mine. I asked her if she'd come to my house and stay with me and actually sleep in my bed. And she said, okay. And she, my friends knew about the thread fairy because it had been going on for a long time. So... Got up in the morning and I was very upset. I was in the bathroom and I was looking in the mirror and I said, Juliana, I said, Granny has a big owie this morning. I said, my heart is just broken. And with that, the phone rang and somebody came on the phone and eased my pain with something I was worried about. And then as I picked up my jar of cream, there was a whole lot of thread under my jar of cream. And I knew Juliana had left it there. There's no doubt. With that, there was a tap at the door. My friend was making the bed. And she said, Paul, I have to tell you, she said that the, fairy, the thread fairy came last night and in my thread was a bundle of gold thread in my bed. Ruth gave me a beautiful gift after September 11th. I just needed proof that Juliana and Ruth were together and happy. 
uh, it was just killing me knowing that that maybe there is no life hereafter. Maybe there is nothingness. And I got on my knees one night and just prayed to God and to Ruth. I said, please, just prove to me that you're together and happy. That's all I need to know. Because the last time I saw them together, they were out in the garden singing and dancing. And these two beautiful spirits, I just needed to know they were together. Next day, I received a phone call from a very good friend of Ruth's who said there's a very special woman that she knows, that she heard about in New Haven. She doesn't know her, but she gave me a phone number that she had received and to call her. She's very gifted and she's very spiritual. And I called her. And I left no traceability. I did not leave my name. She couldn't trace me and my phone number. She knew, knew nothing about me. In fact, I said I was from New York, which I wasn't. And I lost somebody September 11th. Well, I lost two people, but uh, she didn't know that. And when I came into the room and she started talking, she told me that there's a beautiful woman in here and her name is Ruth. And then she started crying. She says, my God, you lost a little child and she wants to speak to you. And Juliana related things to me that were very personal. She said, Daddy, that book I left for you on the floor the other night, that was that was a book there I left there. And it was a book I found that I used to read to her. She related things that she and I personally used to do together. Then Ruth came in, and there were 40 or 50 things that Ruth related that, that only she and I knew. And I'll give you an example of some. Ruth spoke to me and told me what I was doing at night. She says, you're living in darkness. You're eating peanut butter sandwiches. You've got to eat better. She even mentioned a, a private sort of humorous password we had together at the end. She said, just remember Sammy Strepanopoulos, which is a very oddball name, but a very personal joke between us. Other things that were very specific very revealing. She said, Dave, I want you to go home and turn off the blinking light I left for you. And I went home and it was a blinking light that was blinking at 9.14 a.m., the time of the crash into the World Trade Center. Was the light on a clock? It was on a digital clock. And the only way the digital clock can can blink is if a power goes out or, or, or something. She said, David, I've left you a wallet and look for the wallet. And I didn't know what she was talking about, but Three months later, the New York City police called and said, we found your wife's wallet. When I went down to get it, she left me the papal coin that the Pope had blessed, and, and, and she had carried it in a wallet, which I was unaware of, and it fell out on the table. It was the only thing in the wallet, and she left it behind. And this divine gift to me transformed my life because I do know that they're in a, in a beautiful place, and I do feel them at times, and I know their love is here for me and that consoles me. Ruth's body was recovered, Juliana's was not. Ruth's ashes were divided into two to represent herself and her daughter and their final resting place is at her father's grave in Cork. question and don't answer it if you don't want to but the impact only really hit me when I heard about people making phone calls on the plane and people's last moments yeah. on the plane you know the pictures on the telly didn't obviously they meant something but it was when I heard about people making phone calls and people knowing they were that their last moments yeah 
Well, I have to tell you truly and in all honesty, and I um, um, I believe that Paige was comforting the people around her, and I believe Juliana and Ruth looked at each other, and Ruth looked at Juliana, and they looked at each other. They were face to face. They were holding each other, and I really do believe that Everything that was important to both of them, which was each other, was exactly where their last moments were, were strictly with each other, spiritually knowing and moving onward. It was, it was okay. It was okay. And they were with each other, eye to eye, nose to nose, lip to lip. And those were Ruth's moments. And I believe that their souls were long gone before that plane ever incinerated. And it's not a sad thought. That's not sad.